the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back Wednesday, January 12th, 2022. The French historian Henry Locard wrote that, quote, In brief, the Maoist revolution, and above all, cultural revolution, was the revenge of the ignorant over the educated, the triumph of obscurantism. Excuse me, the triumph of obscurantism, the meritocracy of our own world turned on its head. The fewer degrees you had, the more power you attained, close quote. This would be why, for instance, Pol Pot and the Maoists of Kampuchea would target people with and seize their reading glasses so that they could not read or think for themselves. Think of it as a wholesale solution to memory holding as opposed to rewriting everything and updating all that had been written before, which is really a retail problem, even in Oceana. For, as Orwell asked, how could you make appeal to the future when not a trace of you, not even an anonymous word scribbled on a piece of paper, could physically survive? Obscurantism. It's a good word. You don't hear it often. It means the practice of deliberately preventing the facts or full details of something from becoming known. This defines the efforts of the Democratic Party, particularly your president and vice president. No need to memory hole if you have an ignorance of history or better, you are exquisitely schooled in newspeak, new history. Recall your Milan Kundera for a moment. Quote, the first step in liquidating a people is to erase its memory, destroy its books, its culture, its history, and then have somebody write new books, manufacture a new culture, invent a new history. Before long, the nation will begin to forget what it is and what it was. The world around it will forget even faster, close quote. So yesterday, President Joe Biden asked, quote, do you want to be on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? Close quote. If we want to see the question as rhetorical, we could because we've been answering it here nearly every day and long before it occurred to Joe Biden. Hell, Joe Biden was palling around with supporters of Bull Connor and defenders of Jefferson Davis and his own party throughout the 1970s when most of us had already accepted the opposite view, the views of King, the views of Lincoln. And yeah, it was Jefferson Davis those friends and colleagues of Joe Biden were looking to. I'm surprised it's still available. Screen grab it while you can. No doubt it will disappear. But this is a headline from NBC dated 2019. It reads thus exactly, quote, Joe Biden didn't just compromise with segregationists. He fought for their cause in schools, experts say, close quote. As for using race to determine rights and privileges, most of us got the memo in 1963 and from Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Today, the movement to use race to determine rights and privileges rests exclusively in the Democratic Party. 
Find me one Republican who believes otherwise and find me one Democrat who does not. But, of course, we Republicans, according to Joe Biden, are on the side of Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis. The entire revision, memory holding, redacting, reframing and obscurantism is on the side of Joe Biden and runs deeply throughout its entire party and belief system. It is their worldview, but they try and foist and impute it on to their political opponents. We have it with us, we who know a modicum of history, at least as it used to be taught, which is to say accurately, that the cause of the Confederacy was not just unjust, an effort to preserve and protect a baleful and baneful institution, namely slavery and then Jim Crow. The secessionist and segregationist movements were rebellions against America and her ideals and, most importantly, her founding. Indeed, its supporters said things like the Declaration of Independence didn't proclaim self-evident truths but self-evident lies. In his famous or once famous cornerstone speech, Alexander Stevens, the vice president of the Confederacy, said, quote, the American founding rested upon the assumption of the equality of races. This was an error. It was a sandy foundation, and the government built upon it fell when the storm came and the wind blew. Our new government, the Confederacy, he continued, is founded upon exactly the opposite idea. Its foundations are laid, its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the black man, not the word he used, is not equal to the white man. That slavery subordination to the superior race is his natural and normal condition. This is our new government, is the first in the history of the world based upon the great physical, philosophical, and moral truth of the difference between the races, close quote. The more we read and know our history, the more we come to an amazing irony. The rioters among us, those targeting American institutions and statuary, those proclaiming America racist, those claiming 1776 and the founders were all wrong, were all bigots, so much so that the founding needed to be switched from 1776 to 1619. They are an exact common, an exact league, in precise consonance with the very Confederate monuments they are trying to illegally take down. And they are even more so in exact common, in exact league, in precise consonance with the Confederate States of America when they go after, oh, say, Abraham Lincoln and Ulysses S. Grant, the 54th Regiment Memorial in Boston, as the Black Lives Matters movement and rioters did in 2020. Who just who is on the side of Lincoln? Those Kamala Harris was raising funds to bail out of jail for rioting against Lincoln and B, upon the reading of American history given to us by the Confederacy and the segregationists, Uncle Joe resurrects. Why Uncle Joe? Why am I calling him that? The nickname for Joseph Stalin. Well, because Joseph Stalin told H.G. Wells, quote, education is a weapon whose effect depends on who holds it in his hands and at whom it is aimed, close quote. Joe Biden has earned the sobriquet. I hope this point is not too subtle. We have had the experience that thought our founding was a lie. It was the Confederate States of America and today's rioters in the BLM and Antifa movements, along with their political and financial supporters, all within the Democratic Party today. We have had the experience that Lincoln and Grant and those who nobly fought under them were evil monsters 
It was the Confederate States of America and today's rioters in the BLM and Antifa movements, along with their political and financial supporters, all within the Democratic Party today. We have had the experience that thought our country should treat humans by the basis of their race rather than the basis of their humanity. It was the Confederate States of America and today's rioters in the BLM and Antifa, along with their political and financial supporters, are all within the Democratic Party today. We have had the experience that thought our country should be rebelled against and taken up arm against. It was the Confederate States of America and the rioters in the BLM and Antifa movements, along with their political and financial supporters, all within the Democratic Party today. So shame on them all, starting with Uncle Joe. You know, there were scholars of yore who thought the Declaration of Independence in our Constitution was not meant to include black Americans, just as the BLM says, just as the Democrats today say. There were. They had names. I gave you one, Alexander Stevens. They had other names. Roger B. Taney. He was the chief justice of the Supreme Court when he wrote that into the Dred Scott decision. Most of us used to think he was wrong. Most of us used to think that was one of the worst decisions in history. Most of us agreed with the dissenting opinions of Benjamin Curtis and John McClain, whose better history than Tiny's, Tawny's, proved otherwise. Let's do history right here. If you want to view, or if you want the view that America's founding justified slavery, you could read the history. It exists as written by Roger B. Tawny and the Confederates. If you want the view that America's founding did not, you could read the dissenting views of Justices Curtis and McLean, the dissents Lincoln favored and used, the history of America we all thought was vindicated after the Civil War. It is the Democrats and the 1619ers and the BLM and the entirety of the left that uses Roger B. Taney's history of our founding, the history used and used to justify racism. There was a better history, embraced by the dissents mentioned above, embraced by Lincoln, Ulysses F. Grant, Frederick Douglass, and a lot of others. Abraham Lincoln gave us one of his most famous speeches deconstructing and destroying the Dred Scott decision in a speech that would go on for about five times the length of any of my opening monologues. Lincoln put it poetically, and part of his speech where he said this, quote, In the time of our founding, our Declaration of Independence was held sacred by all and thought to include all. But now, to aid in making the bondage of the black man universal and eternal, it is assailed and sneered at and construed and hawked at and torn till if its framers could rise from their graves, they could not at all recognize it. All the powers of earth seem rapidly combining against the black man. Mammon is after him. Ambition follows and philosophy follows and the theology of the day is fast joining the cry. They have him in his prison house. They have searched his person and left no prying instrument with him. One after another, they have closed the heavy iron doors upon him. And now they have him, as it were, bolted in with a lock of a hundred keys, which can never be unlocked without the concurrence of every key, the keys in the hands of a hundred different men. And they scattered to a hundred different and distant places. And they stand musing as to what invention in all the dominions of mind and matter can be produced to make the impossibility of his escape more complete than it is, close quote. 
That departure and running from and away from our founding philosophy, as had been taking place, was embraced by Justice Taney in the Confederacy. It was opposed by Lincoln and Grant and Frederick Douglass and almost all understanding of American history until about 40 years ago and by the BLM and Antifa movements today and the Democratic Party today. Even today, as the emancipation statue of Abraham Lincoln in Washington, D.C. is up for destruction, we see yet again there are still those who must embrace the cause of freedom and equality by wanting to destroy monuments to those who fought for it against those who did embrace the racial and racist perspectives of humanity and took up arms against the United States to do so. There are no, it now seems, great endorsers of the Dred Scott theory and Confederate philosophy and decisions any greater than Antifa and BLM activists and their supporters today in Uncle Joe's party. I hope that irony is not lost on people, but I fear it is. It is, I believe, a subtle but very important point. Let me put it squarely and unsubtly. There were those who thought our founding was meant not to include blacks. They went to war against America. They wrote decisions like the Dred Scott decision. They formed the KKK. They formed Jim Crow. They formed segregation. They created Bull Connor and Uncle Joe's friends in the Senate. There were more who thought that the founding was meant to and did include blacks. They opposed and dissented in the Dred Scott decision. They went to war against those who went to war against America. They tried to make the KKK illegal. They had names like Lincoln, Curtis, McLean, Grant, and Frederick Douglass. The Antifa and BLM movement embraces the views of the first group, not the second. And they, again, are going to war against America and America's history right now. If I may paraphrase the great Mark Levin, that's right, I said it. The know-nothings of today have not studied the lessons of history. And while invoking it and its worst names are doing so only from the perspective of junk thought and junk education to induce deliberate mis education. I could quote so much more, but I'll just quote this and ask you to ask our BLM and Antifa Rebs and Uncle Joe, who do they think knows more? And it's like asking who knows more or better history of World War II, Elie Wiesel, Victor Frankel and Winston Churchill on one hand or David Duke and Louis Farrakhan on the other. Douglas, pre-Civil War, pre-Civil Rights Act, called the Constitution, quote, a glorious liberty document, close quote. His words exactly. You hear Democrats say that anymore? No, you do hear us say that. Martin Luther King called the Declaration and the Constitution magnificent, his words, before the Civil Rights Act. When's the last time a Democrat did? No, they're all about changing 1776 to 1619. They're about calling our founding racist and damnable. Don't let Uncle Joe today act as the Uncle Joe of the 1940s, rewriting everything and revising everything so much George Orwell was compelled to write 1984 in the first place. This American needs no lecture from Uncle Joe about whose side I am on vis-a-vis King or Wallace, Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis. His side's history is Davis's, not Lincoln's. Mine is Lincoln's, not Davis's. I get haters of America, the permanent revolution crowd, the Marxists and neo-know-nothings. Just don't count me among them as I still think of this place as the last stand on earth, as Ronald Reagan put it, and the last best hope of earth, as Lincoln put it. Destroy it and you destroy everything, everything good. That's what Uncle Joe and Kamala are about. 
all the while gaslighting the illuminated and the enlightened. Two final small thoughts. If our election system is so corrupt it requires federal seizure, how's come Joe Biden is president? Chuck Schumer is the head of the Senate and Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House. Were they elected under a corrupt election system, as they're telling us we have? Second, keep your glasses. Maybe just don't wear them in public. For public view, to signal you unite with the state and the party is being dictated with you. You know what we'll do just fine? The mask. That's what they want you to wear in, pub- in public. There's no better billboard of fear and illness than that. They don't want you wearing glasses and reading and thinking for yourself. They want you wearing face masks. And you who do this, you are the states and the parties walking billboards. Once upon a time, we distrusted the state and the single-party monopoly. I can see why. You can't. Because education, as a weapon, has worked on you. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602 I want to make welcome my uh, producer pro tem today, Chris Llewellyn. Bill has the day off. He'll be back tomorrow. Chris is the uh, vice president of all things important here. Chris, it's good to see you here. It's good to see you. I say the, he's something. I, Chris is something. Chris is something. He is something. He is the vice president of all things important and my producer today. Say hi to him if you call. I um I think I was just thinking about this. I think I have known you longer here than anyone else in the 960 constellation. Yeah, I think I right. I think I knew you before I even had this gig. Oh, that's that's 100%. I uh we met because At you like were like 3 in the morning. Yep. No, no, it wouldn't be 3. No, 3 in the morning two would in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> like 2 I in the morning. One or 2 in the morning. Right. You were uh doing Bill Bennett's show That's on right. Friday. That's I right. It was. That's so, yeah. right. Which started at 3 a.m. Oh, yeah. here. And yeah. An engineer needed to be here. Yeah. Sometimes, Someone uh, needed to turn the lights on. Sometimes something Chris was here. Yeah, the VP of all things important yeah. is who that fell to. But to do that show is kind of interesting. I heard Adam Carolla on his podcast the other day talking to someone saying I think your show was the first syndicated morning show that broadcast from west to east. I said, oh, no, 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 no. Hugh Hewitt used to have that uh, that gig out of California years ago before yeah. Bill Bennett. And then when I did it out here, yeah. So do you know how I prepared for that 3 a.m. slot? <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine. Yeah, no one wanted to watch. It's like making sausage and laws. I would set my alarm clock for 11 p.m., when I would take. But wait, wait, wait. When did you go to bed? Well, that was always the problem. I tried to go to bed at like six to get a few hours, like four hours. It was an impossibility. I would, I would set the alarm for eleven p.m. I would take Dagny the Wonder Dog running, because you know to get the heartbeat up and to get going and to get thinking and to get our exercise in. I would take a can of bear spray with me because it was so dark and I live in the desert and who knows, you know, coyotes and stuff. It was quite a scene. And uh, anyway, we still have Dagny the Wonder Dog, but we don't have that gig anymore. So my sleep's my, my sleep's little. I have no idea where the bears. I never used I it. Never used it. Never deployed so. it. It was a little easier than running with my uh, Second Amendment protection. You can't really run. Not what a story t- that would have been too if you let off that bear spray and then there was like a big event and it was in the paper. Yeah, like radio host bear sprays coyotes or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. and it, yeah, it's a good thing no one surprised me on those. <laughs> in See, yeah. corner and sh- it's good to have you here. Are you a dog guy? Do you have a dog? I do have a. Do- I've had a dog. Uh, actually, I didn't have dogs before my wife, and ever since we have had multiple dogs. So yes, we do. When you give them treats, I assume you give them treats. Yeah. What? 
do they do? What's the first thing they do when they take it from your hand? They run upstairs. Exactly. Yep. They Ex- immediately, my dog, uh, exactly. Chloe right now, uh, she in her treats, she likes vegetables. Right. She grabs it, and she runs to carpet. She runs upstairs right. for us, or she tries to find carpet, and we have to yell, don't do that. Right. Stay where you are and eat it. And she right. always runs up and mushes it and eats it. I want to come back to this thought, because I. why do they do that? I think they take it in speed lest anyone take it from them. It's a terri- I think yeah, it's a territorial I think thing. they're worried about it being taken away. Yeah. It's the same thing where it's like, you know, you feed them, and then the next day they're freaking out, and you're like, I'm going to feed you. You're always, they, But they always feel like they're not going to be fed. You took so. it in a different direction, but it's related yeah. than where I was going. We do the same thing with certain foods, don't we? When's the last time you had some pistachios? That's so funny. You cannot open them fast enough as if someone's going to take them. Why do we do that? I have the greatest pistachio. I want you to try one. It's the best you've ever had. Well, here's the music. Let's get to it. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Chris Llewellyn. We'll get back to the Banausik in just a moment. 602-508-0960. You know, uh, one of the things uh, you have to do because of economies of time is you don't get to put everything you want into the monologue. There were about three more things I just wanted to say about Joe Biden trying to uh, trying to tie the uh, segregationists and the Jim Crow dead-enders to the Republican Party. Uh, the last time I saw a Confederate flag in a presidential election on the campaign signs, pins and buttons of the candidates running for office themselves or the Clinton-Gore ticket in 1992. You can uh, find it. You can find them on eBay. You can find them everywhere. Clinton-Gore, 1992, New Sons of the South, Confederate flags all. The idea that Joe Biden wants to throw this in our face, like this is our problem, it's not hypocritical. It's not ironic. It's deliberate misdirection. Maybe a psychologist or a psychiatrist could explain it, but the degree to which people accept this libel against the Republican Party and the conservative movement is the degree to which they are ignorant of history. Who was Bill Clinton? Who did he say was his great hero, his great political hero? William Fulbright. William Fulbright, one of the great segregationist leaders, He's, he went to he went to and spoke at his funeral, just as he did Bobby Byrds, a former leader of the Ku Klux Klan. He was asked about Byrds' membership in the Klan. You know what Bill Clinton said? You can go find it on YouTube. The interview is still there. He said he joined the KKK because he had to for political success. Oh. That's the justification, is it? Join any movement you want because you think it's the political popular thing to do, the politically popular thing to do. Final thought on George Wallace. Thank God there are still remnants of history available to us. 1968 firing line show hosted by William Buckley, not a liberal, had the guest George Wallace on for an hour. Go back and watch it. You can get it on online. You can see it. 
blessedly, old firing lines are available online. There's a lot of learning in those shows. And he gave George Wallace probably the hardest interview George Wallace has ever had and made him look like the idiot that he was. Was Bill Buckley a Democrat? Was he the precursor to the Biden and Harris administration? These people and names that should go down in history as evil or bad or racist or bigoted or whatever appellation you want to give them with a negative connotation, that's the Democrats' legacy, and it's the Democrats' current philosophy and ideology. It ain't ours. It ain't ours. And this trick that he's trying to pull over your heads is nothing more than political leisure to me. It's not just history they're toying with. It's not just history they're trying to rewrite. It's current. It's taking place in real time. Fox News has a story. It'll be interesting to see if the New York Times does tomorrow. 47,000 illegal migrants released in the United States in 2021 failed to report for their hearings. Imagine that. 47,000 illegals who were given NTRs, notices to reappear, didn't show up. 47,000 of them. You know how that works, right? They come here, we give them the NTR, and then we think problem solved. They'll come back for their hearing. 47,000 didn't. I have an idea where they may be. You know where they may be? Maybe, 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 maybe. If this government were really serious about trying to find them, you know where they might be? They might have gone to New York City. They might have gone to New York City because it is there that the mayor and the city council just gave every illegal immigrant the right to vote. They can get they can they have the right to vote. You don't have to be a citizen in New York City now to have the right to vote. Of course, we're the ones who are violating the Constitution. 47,000. Kamala Harris was in charge of this problem. Was she asked about it today? Will she be asked about it today? To ask the question is to answer it. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Um, Every Wednesday, we are joined by Brett Johnson. Brett W. Johnson is a partner at the law firm of Snell & Wilmer. He is our Robert Jackson Fellow in Constitutional Studies. And we check out constitutional issues with him every week. This week, there are uh, many. Hello, Brett. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Seth. Thanks for having me again. You betcha. Uh, We've talked before. We've spoken before about voting uh, uh, constitutionalism and and voting laws, uh, election laws. Uh, Yesterday, the news was dominated uh, by it. Um, Tell us a little bit about what's taking place with – I gather there – the the media tends to conflate these things, but there's really two major pieces of legislation, as I understand it, floating around the halls of Congress that the Democrats are pushing, uh, the John Lewis uh, Act and then the act that they had been working on for some years. Can you kind of distill that for us? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's in the news right now. And basically, since uh, the Democratic Party came, uh, came into power 
um, this last election cycle, they have been pushing um, several different acts, exactly how you made reference. Sometimes they do get convoluted, but there was one, which was House Resolution 1, Senate Resolution 1. That's kind of the major um, legislative act that's out there. There's also uh, House Resolution 4 and then the Freedom to Vote Act which is uh, basically the most uh, most recent rendition. And that's what you're hearing about in the news right now, about the, what they call, the Senate calls the nuclear option. Uh-huh. So as a way of background for everybody, Senate procedural rules, Senate's able to create its own procedural rules, is that nothing can get to a vote unless there's 60 senators who agree that a vote should occur. Okay, So it doesn't mean that they're actually voting for the bill, but it allows a bill to go forward or a nomination for that majority vote. That we, call, we call that 51. cloture, right? If people hear the word cloture, cloture that's what we're talking about, the 60 vote. That's what, that's needed. what right. we're talking yeah. about. Mm-hmm. Right. So to change that, you would only need 51 votes to basically allow it to come back down for um, a, a, um, the procedural vote back to 51. A right? simple so majority. So you need a simple majority to change the Senate rule majority. back to a simple majority. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. There you go. So that's, that's the bottom line. But then, So then you get into... Um, what they're actually the substance of what this whole issue is and whether or not the nuclear option is only going to be for this um, this legislation, et cetera. And you have, obviously, two senators, Senator Sinema, um and, and West Virginia senator, who, who are, are not for this. But uh, what one thing that a lot of people are con- con- convoluting, obviously, is the underlying act, which right. is the voting, the freedom to... Um, the Freedom to Vote Act, right. which is uh, the one at issue. And obviously, a lot of people call it different things, but the, the actual official title is the, is the Freedom to Vote Act. A lot, uh, if you hear some commentators on um, the news, they'll, they'll call it the, the Freedom to Cheat Act, and <laughs> I always thought that was an interesting one. But it, 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 the problem with the, the, the law is there's obviously, in every bill, there's usually some good, but in this case, there's a lot of bad. And from a constitutional perspective, you know, the Constitution really relegates the states to control their own elections, both for federal um, candidates as well as state candidates. Article and 1, Section state? 4, Clause 1, right? They're, wow, I'm impressed there. <laughs> I should hang up but, now. We're done. <laughs> that's right. Putting that law degree to work. But, um, and, and obviously, you know, through the 14th Amendment, which came in after the Civil War, and the Voting Rights Act, which protects minorities' rights to vote uh, in the nation, has been uh, widely interpreted um, by the Supreme Court, even most recently in dealing with Arizona's ballot harvesting laws. Um, the, the the main issue is is that this this federal legislation, which isn't necessarily dedicated to minority rights, which would have a trigger in the Fourteenth Amendment, it really is going to the administration of elections right. in the state. Right. And so that's the major concern. But there's some good parts. I want to make sure people do and I try to be balanced as where I can. And of course, they they did put some good stuff, such as foreign intervention in elections. Uh, uh, you know basically upping, making sure that foreign governments are not interfering, providing that cybersecurity. Um, quite honestly, some other things that I think are still state right issues, but the, the ideas are okay, but they should just be dealt with at the state level. So you get into that whole, you know, 10th Amendment and anything that's not relegated to the federal government and to the state. We've talked about that before. Yep. This is really a state's rights issue uh, when you're looking at the underpinning um, legislation. So they make it kind of um, a federal issue, or at least they try to, as Joe Biden and Kamala Harris did yesterday, by going to Georgia 
and declaiming against what they want us to think of as egregious uh, violations of equal rights and voting rights by highlighting things like, as they said yesterday, people couldn't even get water when they're standing in line, thus the federal need to manage these kinds of elections. Now, people can research that provision of the Georgia bill. I believe the Biden and Kamala Harris uh, statements about it are, are gross, gross, gross oversimplifications of that sort of thing. But, you know, it is interesting what they summon to get here. I mean, you know, uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they're bringing back all the civil rights names from the 50s and 60s that we thought were long ago forgotten, don't they? They really, they really ratchet up the rhetoric here, don't they? They, 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 they really do. And, and of course, that was uh, back in the day was in regard to civil rights and yep. minorities' right. ability to vote. Right. And now it's kind of taken on this new kind of tinge. And, and, and without real focus, and this is one thing we argued in the, the Burnovich case about voter integrity and ballot harvesting, is you need those traditional um, safety mechanisms, that, and I do a lot of election law, you sure. know that, that yep. but you need those traditional election safety, whether or not you're voting in a booth or you're voting in your pajamas at your home. Right. It's just very important that there's a chain of custody, and, and what this really goes to is you should be able to vote in any manner. Forget about the administration. Forget about the, the, the hurdles that election administrators have to do on a daily basis, and instead just have that luxury of voting at, at, at a convenience, which the Supreme Court has regularly said that's not, you know, the voting is, is should be easy, but, you know, regular security measures have to take precedence over people's convenience. So, you know, making sure that the voter rolls are, are properly so that people are not voting in multiple jurisdictions, not just different states, by the way, but even different counties, different cities. They move from people place to place. That's important from the, the voter rolls. Um, in, in ensuring voter ID laws, which is also something that they want to decrease, and, and Arizona for sure has some strong voter ID laws, as do other states. So it, it's going to be interesting how this is actually fleshed out. But even if it were to get passed, um, you're going to see quite a bit of um, litigation across the country oh, on this issue, exactly what's happened before, because um, because obviously the elections clause and, and just the overreach here on, on the federal government. Oh, you could spend, I mean, a student could spend three years in law school just on voting rights of law. I mean, they really, oh. it, it, it is it, it is so, what, what do I want to say here, so wending and anfractious from the Supreme Court's legacy on this stuff. I mean, there is That's so right. much litigation I mean, on this stuff that you could spend three years trying to understand it. That's right. And, and last week we talked about uh, going into publishing, you and I, yeah. you could write a whole book just on this one uh, legislation, <laughs> because it touches on every single voting issue you can imagine, um, which just shows kind of like what we call the log rolling yeah. of legislation that just doesn't make sense in many regards. Well, let's do the other book. And let me correct a small, <laughs> small, small slander you, you, you committed when you said when I invoked Article 1, Section 4, you said I was putting my law degree to work. No, <laughs> no, you, they don't teach the Constitution <laughs> in law school, Brett. You know that. <laughs> That's the last That's place right. to learn the Constitution, don't you know? It's true, though. Really, it's weird. They don't really teach the Constitution. They teach the interpreter. We love you, Brett Johnson. No, Bless no. you, sir. You know who? <laughs> Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I'll just, uh, for, the, uh, for the interested among us, I'll just uh, flesh out that small 
uh, point I was making with Brett at the end there, uh, Brett Johnson. Um, I drew it. Uh, I cited a constitutional provision, and uh, and he was uh, being nice and saying, dusting off your old law degree. I, I, I was in mind of something Charles Kessler once said uh, years before I even went to law school uh, when he was asked – uh, he's the editor-in-chief of the Claremont Review of Books. He was asked um, uh, what law school you would go to, should go to, what law school he would recommend to understand the Constitution the best. What's the best law school to understand the Constitution, the original intent and its framing and all that? And he said this on C-SPAN. I'll never forget it. He said law schools generally are about the worst place to go if trying to understand the Constitution is what you're after. And what he said I found to be eminently true in the law school I went to, the guest lectures at other law schools I went to. Law schools don't teach the Constitution. Lawyers aren't trained in the Constitution. Once upon a time, more so, but not in a long time. What you get at law school, you might say, is what you get at the Harvard Business School, the case study method. You learn what the Supreme Court justices say about the Constitution. You don't really read the Constitution in law school. I mean, it might be assigned in con law, but it's never quizzed. It's never asked about. It's never explicated. It's never really taught. What you are taught is what the Supreme Court justices have said over the years. And uh, that means you can get good analysis and you can get rotten analysis. Uh, who was the uh, William Smith, the old philosophy professor at uh, Cambridge University, said um, – the chief task of education is to know when someone is speaking rot. Well, they don't do that in the law schools because they will teach if, um, if uh, your law professor is like most law professors. They will teach the versions of the Supreme Court's uh, decisions that they most agree with or they most like and give short shrift to that which they don't, which is why I bring up from time to time that there were dissents in cases like Dred Scott, there were dissents in cases like Plessy versus Ferguson. We talked about the story last week where the governor of Louisiana uh, gave a, uh, a posthumous exoneration to uh, uh, Horace uh, uh, Plessy, um, the man who could not ride in uh, the uh, whites only section of the rail cars in the 1890s, the train cars in the 1890s. And the interesting thing about it is, um, it, yes, of course, of course, of course came too late. But the interesting thing about it is there was someone who argued for Homer Plessy's rights. He was in the dissent in Plessy versus Ferguson. And nowhere was he quoted in any of these stories about him. You know why? Because his dissent vindicated the Constitution and said good things about our founding and said our Constitution is colorblind and tolerates no caste of people here. And that the new left cannot handle. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.